This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Hi, welcome to the Finding Holy podcast. I am your host, Ashley Hales. I'm author of the book Finding Holy in the Suburbs and an upcoming book next year called A Spacious Life. And here at the Finding Holy podcast, it's our aim to help you connect the dots between things that really matter and your everyday holy life. So expect a lot of really thoughtful content and a question about my guest laundry because big things matter, but so does the laundry. Here in season four, we are talking all about living faithfully as a Christian in an upside down world. We're talking about all the hot button topics and how we can think Christianly about them. This week, my guest is Michael Ware. He is the chief strategist of the AND campaign and founder of Public Square Strategies, LLC. He's the author of Reclaiming Hope, Lessons Learned in the Obama White House about the future of faith in America. And more recently, he is the co-author of Passion and Conviction, the AND Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. We talk about a lot of things here in this interview. I hope you enjoy the hopefulness Michael brings, as well as laughter, lightheartedness, and some really helpful framing questions to help us think how we operate in the public sphere, whether that's our vote or how we go about our life in our neighborhood from a Christian perspective. Join us for this conversation. Friends, I'm here with Michael Ware, and he is the recent author of the book, Compassion and Conviction, The AND Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. So thanks for being with us, Michael. Oh, it's so good to be with you. Thanks yeah, for having me. it's so fun. So we met like several years ago at some conference. It was really fun, and I loved your, your talk and uh, helping think through ideas. I remember they like stuck the women off to like go do something like crafty and I was like I want to go hang out with Michael and talk ideas so I'm glad you're on the podcast <laughs> yeah good to be on good to be yeah. on yeah that was a fun event it was so tell us Michael okay so give us a little bit about your background and how are you like seeing this moment in time how do we navigate this moment as people of faith yeah it's it's a good question so I mean just a bit of background you know I um and uh, someone who um, I'm from Buffalo, New York, mm-hmm. and uh, became a Christian at around 15 after reading Romans. Um, and that colored everything yeah. in my life, including, you know, I, I was interested in politics before that, but for a while I thought, well, now I need to go to seminary, become a pastor, right. Right. do the most Christian thing possible. And fortunately, I had a pastor in my life who said, well, Michael, you know, uh, there are Christians who aren't pastors. And so that was helpful. And so this, um, uh, yeah, I found myself in different places in different forums, but the vocational question that has guided my life since pretty early on is, you know, what does it mean to be faithful in public things? And mm. that uh, led me to DC for college uh, it led me to serve in government in the White House and presidential campaigns. Um, and now I'm in a place where uh, for the last seven or so years, I've been consulting um, 
trying to bring the experiences and what I've learned in government to bear, to directly come alongside Christian organizations and leaders and help the church navigate what I think is a increasingly complex and at times antagonistic sort of cultural and, and political landscape uh, yeah. in, in this country. Um, a big part of the consulting over the last, well, I shouldn't say uh, of the consulting, uh, a big part of my, my, my work over the last couple of years is uh, I joined uh, the AND campaign as their ch- chief strategist. And so yeah. that's where it comes from. Um, look, uh, the, the, Increasing sophistication of political tools and campaigns has allowed politics to saturate our lives in ways that just was not possible right. in previous eras. Mm-hmm. And then when you have politicians who sort of see advantage in, 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 in that ability... And, and sort of push themselves onto the public, it it creates um, creates an atmosphere where not just our can our politics be toxic, uh, but you know I've, I've traveled around the country over the last four or five years in particular, mm-hmm. and visiting local churches, Christian colleges, and it's just become clear that politics is. Um, increasingly impinging on the way that communities function, yeah. on the way that churches function. Yep. Um, we, we actually heard a story of a literal physical fight breaking out in <laughs> church, dur- in oh, church um, around the, the last presidential election. And so this is, you know, uh, one way I put it is, you know, politics is causing spiritual harm in American yeah. lives. Yeah. That, that's, not to, that's not to take away from the fact that politics also has real, you know, implications, policy implications for the lives of the American people. But we need to understand this other sort of wavelength on which politics is operating, and it affects our families, our churches, mm-hmm the way our communities function. And we're seeing that play out in this presidential election, of course, yeah. which is, you know, at least as, uh, um, you know, a pervasive uh, a, a presence and forces as we had anticipated based on, you know, four, four years ago. <laughs> right, right. I know, I know. So what do we do? How do we like help deescalate yeah. the crazy... Yeah. Around politics as people of faith. I, mean, I was just talking with my husband and he was just saying, you know, like if the church was actually doing its job well and we were kind of a non-anxious presence and that we were mm, having conversations yeah. across the political aisle you know, actually people would maybe go like sit up and go, huh, like what is it about that community, right? It would be surprising and be enticing to those people who are not Christians. And yet here we are and we are just as saturated and embroiled in the drama. So how do we, how do we (laughs) decrease any, any help for deescalating? No, that's exactly it. I I think we, at the very least, you know, we get in, I'm not sure it's, the, the, the problem is not that Christians are making exceptionally 
bad contributions to our politics. The problem is that so often there is nothing exceptional about mm. Christian political participation at all. Mm-hmm. And Christians have all of the resources available to us uh, for our political participation, for our lives to mm-hmm. be distinct. Right. Um, and I think the point you just raised, I mean, ju- so this is a question I've asked around the country for the last, I think I started asking it in 2013. Um, Dallas Willard, who has meant a lot in my life yep. uh, at Southern Cal, you, you, you know, that's kind of close yep. to his, his stomping grounds. Um, uh, Dallas Willard defines, he, he has all these helpful definitions for words. He, he defines joy as a pervasive and constant sense of well-being. And for the last eight years, I've asked at events, you know, how many of you, how many of your listeners, how many uh, would define uh, would define our uh, would, would say that our politics is def- defined by a pervasive and constant <laughs> sense of well-being? How many of you would would say that your when when you are talking about politics, when you're thinking about politics? It's mm-hmm. covered in joy and a pervasive <laughs> and constant sense of well-being. And that's the exact response. It's yeah. a laugh line. It's laughable. It's that, yeah. You don't need to even... Right. You, you ask the question and the answer is immediate. It's not... And the question we have to ask ourselves as Christians is, is why is that? Right. Why has politics become this area which so many of us believe is somehow sort of cordoned off from God, mm-hmm. sort of right. sort of this area of life in which really, if we're honest, we think is sort of um, beyond Jesus's capacities to deal mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, we need to come to terms with that. And, and actually, we, we, it's not that we need to come to terms with that solely because then we'll have all the right political ideas. That, right. That's not that. That's not the idea. The idea here um, is that this is what discipleship is. Right. <laughs> this is what it means to follow Jesus is to uh, find yourself increasingly trusting Him with all of your life, and mm-hmm. particularly in this country, as citizens, we hold a political office. That's not something we choose. That's not something that we can sort of. Uh, uh, just decide to decide we don't have. That's mm-hmm. a responsibility we have. The, the real choice we have to make is how we steward that influence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but sort of not having it is is not really a viable right. uh, a viable option. And so for Christians, the the question is, you know, what does it mean to? And these are the kinds of questions I'm uh, I'm mm-hmm. asking, thinking about, and writing about mm-hmm. lately. Which is, you know, what what does it mean? Um, to, to expect the, the fruit of the Spirit to show up in our public life, not just in how we treat our spouses and mm-hmm, sort mm-hmm. of uh, mm-hmm. how we mm-hmm. talk to fellow congregants and that, but which is all important. Right. It's, you know, I, I say that politics is an essential forum for loving our neighbors, not the essential the, right, forum, right. not the only. Um, but we need to start having... We need to start having confidence that Jesus has something to offer mm-hmm. us mm. in the public challenges we face. Mm. Um, what what sort of 
ways have you seen that work out where you've 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 experienced a confidence of Jesus in the public square either personally or you know maybe in your time in the white house or even now as you're as you're having conversations you know, I have so so many. I know. I'm sure uh, you have a lot of stories. So many stories. You know, what, one I tell is, um, uh, I have a good friend, Jenna Lee Nardella. Mm-hmm. Jenna, Jenna Lee, uh, founded, co-founded Bloodwater Mission, mm-hmm. um, which at a young age turned into a an incredibly influential nonprofit that provided um, water. HIV, uh, AIDS relief um, to um, to uh, millions or, or around the world. Um, Jenna also was significant, along with Gary Haugen and and others, in sort of advancing the justice conversation in mm-hmm. evangelicalism. Um, uh, I was running religious affairs for. President Obama's re-election campaign in 2012. And uh, during the convention, during the political convention, there are invocations and benedictions each night. And so mm-hmm. I had lots to, to fill. And I asked uh, Jenna to give the benediction uh, one night. And, yeah. you know, it's kind of a tough, tough thing, especially when you're a nonprofit leader, especially ministry leader, um, you know, uh, are you opening up your ministry to sort right. of anti-religious inquiry? Are your donors going to be upset that you're praying with Democrats? Right, <laughs> you know, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, so, uh, and so, but, but Jenna uh, talked with her board, she prayed about it, and decided to go. And so, and you know, political conventions, the entire, you know, generally how political conventions go is it's, you know, hours upon hours of people talking about how great their political party is and how yeah. awful the other side is. Right. I mean, right. that's yeah. really uh-huh. like the point. That's how it's set up. And so uh, Jenna Leonardella, First Lady Michelle Obama gave the keynote speech that night. She walks off stage. Jenna Leonardella walks on <laughs> and gives a benediction that um, prayed for both Barack Obama and Mitt Romney, who was our opponent at that mm-hmm. time. And prayed for them in 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 equal measure, yeah. um, and that's a courageous thing to do. You don't know if you're going to get booed, right? You don't know if it's going to be rejected. Uh, when she when she sent the prayer over um, to uh, to us as staff, I, a staff member flagged it for me. And I, I, you know, I, I basically, you know, said, you know, it's too late to change it. We're just going to have to go with right. it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, and um, she, she did that. And I saw Christians and non-Christians on social media sort of who were watching the convention all of a sudden see that our politics doesn't just have to be a, a forum for tribal competition yeah. and animosity that our cult, that our political culture can be about more than winning. Mm-hmm. Christians can actually step into politics and affirm something more fundamental, affirm uh, the dignity that we all share, affirm that we can, that we can 
uh, orient ourselves towards the well-being even of our political opponents. Mm-hmm. And that has always been uh, that has always been a particularly poignant uh, uh, moment for me that I've seen evidence in countless ways mm-hmm. on working with bipartisan, diverse coalitions on issues like human trafficking and mm-hmm. foster care and adoption uh, to all kinds of sort of exceptionally motivated, uh, uh, distinctive Christian engagement that provides light where there just wasn't light before. Mm-hmm. Uh, John, mm-hmm. John, I don't have it in front of me, but uh, John Stott uh, has this, he, he says, you know, uh, Christians often throw up their, uh, their hands in the air and wonder sort of uh, why, uh, why the why the meat has gone bad, um, but but the question to ask is uh, uh, not why the meat has gone bad. The, the, it needs preservative. The question to ask is where is the salt? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're in a uh, just real quickly. I'll, I'll just say you know we're in an environment now where it's very easy to say, oh look at those you know right. bums, whether it's the bums right. on. Uh, that are elected officials or whether it's people on cable news uh, and, and sort of just try and wash your hands of it right. and to sort of get that. Well, at least I'm not, at least yep. I'm not contributing to it. I would just ask Christians to say that that's exactly the problem. Like you're not contributing yep. to it. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which uh, I have great confidence that faithful Christians, mm-hmm. uh, that are seeking to follow the Lord in all things can be an edifying presence in our public life. Mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. That, that the best case scenario is not withdrawal and detachment right. and sort of waiting for the worm to turn. Right. Right. But faithful transformative engagement. Yes. Are you encouraged that way? Or, I mean, it seems like, you know, what we see online, right, is all of the infighting and, you know, the, <laughs> everybody blowing up about whatever. I mean, have you seen like real, real work done across aisles, either, you know, in government or policy or, you know, in your speaking engagements where you feel encouraged about the state of the nation versus perhaps what we see play acted on cable news <laughs> or our Facebook feeds? I mean that's that's really an apt way of, of putting it, Ashley. Um, I mean, it's got to be right. It's got to be. Yeah. Just, you know. I mean, I think we're in a significant period of transition right now, and I think that there are a lot of things to be hopeful about. And I mean, I mean, in that, that there are changes happening that are sort of pregnant with possibility. Mm-hmm. Um. But there are dangers sort of on the other side as well. And so, you know, in my efforts and in my prayers, you know, you just want to contribute what you can to sort of corralling energies in in the right direction. I I think Mm -hmm. we can can often react to the failures that that we see. Mm Mm-hmm. By committing sort of opposing right uh, 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 failures of 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 our own, I'm uh, I'm encouraged by the increase of civic participation and interest. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I am encouraged by the fact that there are a lot of people who did not see how politics really affected their neighbors in a significant way Mm -hmm. um, until recently. I think it's a good thing that we have, I think, uh, revitalized public square in some ways. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important. Um, I, I am concerned that there are some sort of sector stream of public life stream of streams of sort of Christianity uh, um, that are, are moving from sort of detachment to an over identification with a particular yeah. set of political sort of solutions without a real great sense of history, without a real great sense that uh, a lot of the sort of, public policy approaches that they condemn from 20 years ago, 40 years ago, were motivated by very similar senses of what was just, what was, you know, uh, very similar convictions about the intentions. But the history of public policy in this country and really everywhere else is a history of uh, unintended consequences Mm -hmm. of people learning that what they had their sights aimed on um, was not really the most effective lever and in some cases was actually counterproductive. Hmm. And so we, we need to, um, Christians especially need to carry with us what uh, philosopher Jamie Smith at Calvin uh, refers to as, you know, when we step into politics, right. our politics ought to be tinged with a certain level of ambivalence. Right. And what he's not saying there is like, we ought to be quietest. We ought to, pretend to be aloof and like none of this matters. What he's saying is for Christians, we know that politics is not ultimate. Right. We know that politics at its best is an attempt to translate um, ultimate truths into the prudential realities of politics. And we know that we are imperfect translators. And so we bring to that work, a level of ambivalence, a level of humility about, um, uh, our assessment of reality uh, and what is best. Mm -hmm. And then that carries over into the kinds of tools that we're willing to use. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so there's been a lot of talk about, I mean, I think your opening question was about civility. There's been a lot of talk about, you know, is civility sort of holding us back from making the changes that we need to make? Um, And I I would just say generally, if there are changes that we need to make that, uh, involved the denigration of other human beings, really what incivility <laughs> right. is. Incivility right. is is the denigration of the dignity of uh, human beings with whom we don't have an uh, intimate relationship with, with, with strangers, essentially. Right. Um, uh, then, uh, th- then maybe we ought to rethink our our, our our policy instrument like maybe right. we ought to rethink what our goals are right right um and, and so so yeah i mean i think it's it's just um it's it's uh it, there are so many reasons to be encouraged it's just important that we don't as we take on new convictions as we as we increasingly feel like we've, we're learning new things that that new learning encourages us to learn more that, that right. we think of, gosh, think about what I didn't understand five years ago or three years ago. Mm-hmm. 
gosh, I only have to assume there are critical things I don't understand right now. Right. And that's right. going to give me some caution about sort of getting too, uh, leaning too, too far over my skis. Right. Yeah. Oh, I like that. That's a good image. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back in just a minute with the rest of our interview. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So, whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. And here's the rest of my conversation with Michael. So one one question I have too is I feel like you, it's interesting, like you have this kind of middle ground where you're, I feel like you get to translate Christianity to like the mainstream media and also you get to kind of translate politics and the mainstream media to Christians. Um, so tell us what it's like to be in that space and why like we need some of that cross fertilization and you know how do we um, you know what have you noticed from that middle space like what do Christians need to do to be able to be comprehensible to a wider public sphere and what does the public sphere need to know about Christians uh, to begin to have more profitable conversations well I'm, I'm really um... I'm really glad you 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 pulled that up. That that's um, that's uh, very much where I where I uh, sort of feel feel I'm, I'm situated and where I feel uh, called to. Um, gosh, there's there's so much to say here. You, you know, I know that could be your next book. I'm just yeah, <laughs> no, no, it, it, it probably will be. Um, good, good. Uh, um, you, you know, a, a, a few things. Um, you know, so, so Dallas Willard talks about this idea of the the disappearance of moral knowledge, by which I won't go into all the details here. Uh, he basically means in the in the post World War II era uh, in America and in the Western world generally, uh, there was a decision made among sort of gatekeepers of knowledge, with by which he means primarily academia, but also media, others. Um, that religious knowledge, sort of the information, the knowledge that religion and moral traditions have to bring to the table, to the public, don't qualify as actual knowledge, that the only real knowledge is sort of scientific knowledge. Mm -hmm. This is, up until that time, was never viewed that way. Mm -hmm. And Christians have actually bought into this so yeah. we'll hear if Christians are asked, you know, what um, do you really believe this about your faith? 
the, often I'll hear Christians say, well, that's what I teach in my home, or that's what my right. family has always believed, or, you know, that's what the tradition teaches. Mm-hmm. And this thing happens where... Um, it's private and public and yeah, yeah increasingly we talk spheres. about our faith as though it's only relevant to to us uh, by which in reality we mean that's not real uh, christians need to understand that we have uh, we have real resources to bring to bear on the public that aren't sort of the uh that, that isn't simply a matter of uh imposing a set of folkways and folklore uh, <laughs> or just a set of cultural traditions right we we actually don't want any of any of that like like if if it's not real we don't want it and <laughs> christians are actually ought to be the the people least afraid to have their views contested hmm. and to, uh because we're the we ought to be the people least afraid of reality. Mm, um, I like that. That would be such a gift to the public if we could um, regain a confidence, not hubris, but mm-hmm. regain a confidence that what we believe and the Christian tradition, and by, by just, I mean, the, the Christian set of teachings, um, has relevance for the public, mm-hmm. so, so that that's that's really key, um, and and then you know what the um, yeah, I, I think we've we've learned. I think what's become really apparent. Um, so when I go on like Christian college campuses, I yeah. talk a lot about that because that th- that is sort of one of the reasons why that is sort of fading. Uh, is because there's, especially among young people, this increasing sense that, gosh, uh, Christians, uh, meaning individual Christians, don't have a, the monopoly on the truth. <laughs> uh, right. We don't have the monopoly on right conduct. That they're actually, um, uh, actually, Pope Francis just wrote in his mm-hmm. uh, in his recent encyclical. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to quote it precisely, but he he observed, which many other people have, that. Uh, uh, non-believers can sometimes uh, hew closer to aspects of the way of life mm-hmm. that Jesus calls us into than believers. Mm-hmm. And so the, 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 the public is asking, especially when we're talking about evangelism, mm-hmm. sort of the missional aspects of Christianity, if we're not listening um, to the questions and needs of the broader world, what they're asking, then what we have to contribute is just not going to meet the moment. Mm-hmm. We, we need to engage people as people, not, not sort of, I mean, this is just like communication. Like <laughs> right, we, right, yeah. we, we need to view people as a human beings with <laughs> immense dignity who have something to offer us mm-hmm. that we just don't have something to offer them mm-hmm. and that we can learn things together mm-hmm. and not view um, sort of difference as a, um, as 
a call to conflict all of the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Earlier this year, I um, wrote a report with Amy Black, who's a political science professor at Wheaton. Um, The report was uh, supported by the Trinity Forum Mm -hmm. um, uh, on uh, Christianity, pluralism, and public life in the United States. And folks can look up this report. It was based on over uh, uh, interviews with over 50 Christian leaders that was looking at this question of, what does Christianity have to contribute uh, in uh, uh, an environment of difference, mm-hmm. different r- religiously, politically, racially? Um, and, and, you know, what you find is actually, believe it or not, Christianity was a religion born in difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the pluralism of difference is not foreign to Christian teaching or the experience of God's people. And that we actually have incredible resources, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's the sacraments, whether it's a Christian virtue, uh, whether it's the incredible sort of infrastructure uh, the social service that Christ- Christians have provided to societies yeah. like ours for centuries, for millennia. Um, we have a, a lot to bring to bear in a pluralistic environment. What's important is that we don't, um, if, if we approach the public um, in an antagonistic spirit, then we can't, it is very hard to begrudge an antagonistic response. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. I mean, even thinking about like, what are the virtues that help us to enter the public sphere, I think is a helpful way forward. Um, Not only to, you know, have Christian propositions, but to act Christianly. Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. And that, you know, at the AM campaign, we talk a lot about orthodoxy and orthopraxy, but Mm -hmm. then actually... um, uh, this is like just you know read the gospels you know? <laughs> read your bible yeah. jesus um, is always looking at the heart of the matter he's always looking and trying to get at the orientation of the heart people yeah. always try and fool jesus with what their <laughs> output with what their output is yeah and he's always trying to get them to think about and consider their motivations and exactly what they intend with their hearts and their mm-hmm. wills mm-hmm. Um, and their souls. Um, and so, yeah, there, there's just no, there's no shortcut here. We're, right. The Christian life is about becoming a certain kind of person. It's not about producing kinds of things. It's not about assenting to a set of mental truths as, right. as important as those can be. It's about a life that we're called into, mm-hmm. um, and that life has implications for everything, and they're good implications. <laughs> it, it, like it's so so often. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, no, I, I know. I think that, like most I won't of the time. Point again, but no, but, but so yeah. often Christians, um, I think, uh, lack confidence that the yeah. life that we're called into is is actually one that is abundant, mm-hmm. one that is good. Mm-hmm. The title of my next book is called A Spacious Life, so I'm, I'm working on those same ideas. So I think it's, That's yeah, good. it's important to, yeah, that we're headed somewhere good, even when yeah. the way looks dark. So two quick questions. One is, what does the public, where do we find the public sphere now mm-hmm. in the digital age, in COVID? What does that look like? How do we, 
engage. I mean, obviously it's local, but if there's like a public square for discourse, where is that happening or how does that happen? Or how do we think about that idea? The second question I'd love you to ask is how do we think about voting? Like what are, what's a framework for thinking about voting? Cause I think, yeah, we'll get to that first. Answer yeah. the public square. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I, I think I, I could be pretty uh, quick on this, which is there's actually a lot of interesting innovation right now around this idea of creating new public squares mm. and the, the sort of um, thinking about how to create sort of public squares that are facilitate good things and not just <laughs> fractious. Um, okay. And so I think of my friend David Blankenhorn's work at um, uh, Braver Angels, which is hosts hundreds, thousands of town halls around the country. Uh-huh. I think of um, uh, Andy Hanauer and One America Movement and what they're doing. Um, uh, but, you know, the, 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 the I'll go back to my previous, you know, the, the public is where you're engaging with people with whom you don't have pre-existing social relationships with. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, it, it is, um, so I think obviously, you know, social media is, is a kind of public. Right. Um, uh, but it's important to uh, recognize that still so much of American life is conducted at the level of town hall meetings and yeah. sporting events and uh, and uh, a PTA meetings. Yeah. And those are, those are publics as, as well that mm-hmm. we can be attentive to and that we could be a positive presence in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thanks. That's helpful. So the question about voting is, you know, how do we think about voting as a Christian, um, you know, just in conversations with people there's a lot of varying opinion, you know, is how do we, you know, there's a lot I've heard from friends who tend to skew right about, you know, voting my conscience, you know, that it's kind of this personal matter. Um, you know, but how do we think about voting maybe as an issue of stewardship rather than as a personal preference, maybe might be a good way. You know, do we have some framework or some questions to think about voting and yeah. obviously that's not our only political activity yeah. um unfortunately we can often tend to kind of see yeah that's only right. you know that that is our our sole political responsibility but i'd love to hear kind of ways that we can think carefully about this without just being partisan and angry yeah so that that's just such an important point which is in some ways voting is sort of the least expressive form <laughs> of civic participation. At least the least, um, it, it's the form of expression in civic life that you can least dictate on your own. Mm-hmm. So, of course, conscience matters uh, when you vote. Right. Um, the, the, the problem is when that's applied in a way that sort of suggests that... Um, an individual voter is sort of responsible for the um, health of the public, the, the, <laughs> for, for the rest of the public, for right. the decision that they're presented with. But by the time you vote, um, you are dealing with a mediated 
set of options that you are then presented with. Um, and your vote, the word stewardship is just a really important night. Your vote is, uh, you ought to think about your vote as the best way to steward the limited influence you have for the flourishing of your community. Mm-hmm. And there are, um, I do not believe outside of extraordinarily um, rare circumstances that there is a Christian way to vote. As we've discussed already, my, my emphasis is on Christians thinking Christianly when they vote. Mm-hmm. What the sort of pastoral concern that, that I have is when people vote as if or talk about their vote as if they have to, you know, they walk into the voting booth, close the curtain, make their choice. And when they get out, they have to explain to Jesus what happened. In there. <laughs> like, Jesus just doesn't get our political system. That, well, you know, it was really rough in there. You could have seen what I had to deal with. No, he, he, he gets it. Yeah. He know, this is another heart question. He knows the orientation of your heart. And so we just have to, uh, so a few questions I ask. Mm-hmm. One is, I think it's really important to be explicit about what your self-interest is in, because some, you know, sometimes there's this mm-hmm. idea that, well, you know, I don't want to vote just on self-interest, so I'm just going to focus on everybody. And what often happens there is a kind of shell game where people sort of pretend that they're <laughs> pretend that other people's interest is <laughs> or pretend right. that their interest is other people's interest. Right, right. So it's really important to like be explicit <laughs> about like yes. Yeah. And it and it's it's reasonable to consider interest as a part of right. how you consider your vote. Consider what stage of life you're you are in and your family is in. Is do you or does someone in your family have a health condition that requires um, that implicates political decisions. Um, so, so that's the first. Mm-hmm. Like what's, your, what's your immediate self-interest? Second is, um, what experiences and passions does God uh, place in your heart and your life that uh, have political implications that are just core to who you are? So if you work for a uh, Christian NGO that does international development work around the world, I would expect that you're you're going to wait um, uh, a, a, a candidate's uh, international development policy more than the average person might, mm-hmm. because that that's your life. It's what you know best. It's 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 the work that you, mm-hmm. you do every day, and that's okay. Like it's a wonderful thing about the body of Christ, which is that uh, we we all. As long as we're being faithful, I have great confidence that like things will will work out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that if someone is voting differently than I am, mm-hmm. uh, that that's not really. So the second is what experiences and passions mm-hmm. God placing mm-hmm. her, and then uh, so two more questions. Um, consider um, the needs of your broader community. Yeah, and it's important to do that. Not just yes, um, you know be involved in your community and study what issues are going on. What are local elected officials? What are local nonprofit leaders saying are like pressing um, issues affecting particularly the most vulnerable? You know, is there a homelessness crisis in, mm-hmm. in your locale? Is, is there, um, uh, is there a, um, uh, a, a hunger 
uh, crisis in your mm -hmm. area. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but then also, especially within the church, talk to people who think about politics differently than you do. Mm. And like we talked about before, do your best to understand where they're coming from mm -hmm. and enter into conversation with them with the anticipation that they're going to have something legitimate to offer that that you need to value as a part of your political consideration as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then just the last thing, and this is just sort of, this doesn't answer everything, but it is sort of, uh, I think, a helpful you know, framing question is um, what, if your, if your vote decided the outcome of the election, would you, would you, would you feel good about the vote you cast? Would, 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 would your vote lead to the, uh, the, the, um, uh, the best outcome for your neighbors as you discern it. Hmm. And the reason why this question is important is because we often, we increasingly talk about voting as like this act of, um, again, this ultimate act of self-expression. Right. This sort of, this sort of um, defining identity statement. And voting is far too imperfect uh, instrument right. for that. Um, and it just places a moral burden on voters that that doesn't belong there. Right. Um, you should feel a certain level of burden. I mean, it's it's an important decision, but remember, you're one voter out of if it's a presidential election, like 130 million. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you know, um, it, it's a. But what's important is that you've that you've consulted with your neighbors, with your heart, that you've prayed about it. Mm -hmm. um, but you're not accountable for right. everything that happened. <laughs> yeah. Like we just need to. It, again, it is in politicians' benefit and in political parties' benefit to layer that moral burden. Right. Because uh, yeah. it makes you much more easy to manipulate and control. Mm -hmm. um, but. But that's that's psychological warfare. <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't belong. I want to relieve folks of the moral burden they feel, mm -hmm. um, the improper moral burden they feel when thinking about voting. Oh, that's great. Thank you. I'm going to write those questions down. Really helpful. So as we conclude, Michael, give us your laundry routine because I love to help people connect the big ideas, whether it's about theology, politics, culture, and everyday life. So, what's your laundry routine? <laughs> uh and i just want to like the question is just like how i do my laundry yeah right? it is like, yeah no like you don't hidden, have to, no 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 like hidden mean no so just uh, tell us you know we got a 20, <laughs> we have a 22 month old and so uh you know she will uh, help <laughs> uh, you, you know we're, we're, we probably have a, a routine of you know I'll uh, um, w my wife and I will trade off and on of yeah. uh, putting it uh, in the wash in the dryer usually I'll do it late at night so I'll mm -hmm. usually end up staying up late to put it into the dryer you know the problem we have is 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 folding yeah. <laughs> and so and so especially with a young kid right. in the house Who's helping uh, that it just sometimes will will be picking out clothes from the bin to wear yeah. Yeah. Uh, as long as they're clean they're good yeah um, and then we usually have huge you know kind of uh uh 
powwows where once we're really back, you know, we'll, right. we'll watch like an entire episode of a show. Right. And just fold. we're, yeah, we'll folding party. Yeah. See, but you're thinking, see, this is what I love it. All these questions. Cause it's like, you have your own little community, right? Your own little, yeah, that's it. <laughs> where you're, you're giving your little daughter the chance to contribute. And then you also have to get things done. That's good. That's I love it. Exactly right. <laughs> well, well, thank you, Michael. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks for being yeah. on Finding Holy Podcast. So it's been fun. So great to be with you. Thanks, Ashley. Thank you. Friends, I hope you enjoyed that thoughtful interesting, fun, and really hopeful conversation with Michael Ware. I'd encourage you to pick up a copy of his book, Compassion and Conviction, or his first book, Reclaiming Hope. All the links are there, as well as links to his consulting business and speaking, and it'd be a great way for you to engage with Michael, especially as we go throughout the election. He also has a really great newsletter on Substack. Anyway, I wanted to leave you, though, friends, with one small step to begin to take this into your everyday life. It's easy to talk sometimes about politics theoretically, and it's harder, maybe, to actually talk about it in real life. So, for your small step, besides some of those really great questions that he asked us to think about as we consider our vote, is to also think about how we engage with loving our neighbor as we vote, and not only in in our votes, but in all of our civic participation. So I would encourage you to simply talk with someone that you disagree with politically this week. That's your one small step. Ask good questions. Ask them how they came to those conclusions. Maybe ask them what they're afraid of. If you remember last week, we talked with Caitlin Chess, author of The Liturgy of Politics, and Michael Ware actually wrote her foreword. And we talked about some of these ways of actually conversing across aisles in that. So I would encourage you to go back as well and listen to episode 60 with Caitlin. Thank you, friends, for being here. It is such a pleasure to host good conversations that help us think deeply about matters of faith, but also to be able to apply those in really practical ways. So would you do me a favor right now? Would you just subscribe to the podcast and share this episode with a friend? I'm sure it might even begin to help you speak with that friend about things like politics right now when our nation is so fraught and frenzied. So friends, wherever you are, whether you are in America or across the world, remember, these big things matter. How we vote matters. But thankfully, it's not the sub and substance of all that we're about. And if we are in Christ, we can take a step back and remember, these big things matter, but so does the laundry. I hope you'll join me next week. We'll be talking with Pastor Scott Sauls about a gentle answer and how that might be the way forward for turbulent times. This episode was brought to you in part by the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast, an outreach dedicated to bringing joy, strength, intimacy, and purpose to couples seeking growth. Be sure to visit enneagramandmarriage.com to find your chemistry together again, or for the very first time.